African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa today, the 12th of February, 2019. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on shortwave. We're on the frequency 7230, that's 7230 kilohertz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa, rather. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on the audio book here. You can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. From Monday to Thursday, we try to contextualize the big issues on the African continent and also abroad, and that's what we're doing today. We're looking at an international story, and uh, today it has been reported that the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres will intervene with the political situation in Venezuela by meeting the current uh, foreign minister, and actually they met last night in New York. Uh, this comes after the country has experienced multiple protests in the past few weeks calling for the removal of President Nicolas Maduro. Already the opposition leader, Juan Aguaido, has declared himself as president with the support of 50 countries, including the United States, supporting him. Well, let's first, uh, before we get into this discussion, I'm joined on the line by uh, uh, Dr. Shingai Mutizwa Mangiza, postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Political Studies at the University of the Western Cape. And uh, joining us internationally, we've got Dr. Dr. Thomas uh, Purcell, who is a senior lecturer in international political economy at the Leeds Beckett University. In our studio, we've got Henning Zuner, who is uh, South Africa director for the Conrad Adenier uh, Foundation. But uh, earlier on, I spoke to uh, Aziz Pahad, uh, who is uh, the former South African deputy minister of foreign affairs, and asked him around why uh, the country of Venezuela finds itself in this current uh, position and this is what he had to say yeah i think venezuela is in a very difficult situation not of its own making because the u.s is using all sorts of basically in illegal methods to impose sanctions to block venezuelan finances to make it difficult for venezuela to import humanitarian and medicines and other necessities so and i sadly some Latin American countries are supporting the U.S. illegal position and some European countries. So I think Venezuela is under serious threat and the world must mobilize in support for Venezuelans to be allowed to sort out their own problems. But some people would be saying that uh, what uh, is happening on the streets is already determining itself with the current protests that we've seen in the country that have been huge in the public domain. What are your thoughts of that kind of self-determination that could be defined as from the people of Venezuela themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, there have been quite a few demonstrations over the period now. A lot of demonstrations, but there have been very latest demonstrations in support of the government in support of a negotiated solution in support of peace. And I think the Venezuelan people, from the time that uh, Chavez was elected into government, 
have been experiencing attempts to regime change. They have resisted it. I mean, all the statistics are showing that at least 87% of the Venezuelan people are opposed to external intervention, as many people are opposed to sanctions. So the Venezuelan people's views are being expressed. And in fact, in the last elections, nobody has questioned that those elections were not free and fair. There were many observers there from, I think even some from the EU, from the Carter Center, from the Latin American CNLA uh, election monitoring group. So their view has been clear for some time. It's just that because of its resources and other factors, geostrategic, that attempts to regime change it has now been consistent over the many years. Well, that's the voice there of Mr. Aziz Pahad, former South African Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs, which is now known as DIRCO, the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. I want to bring the discussion back into our studio. And let me start with you, Enning, since you are the closest to me in terms of, you know, before we get into some of those thoughts that were brought forward by Mr. Pahad there, we know he's uh, very much known as a struggle stalwart in South Africa and also very central in South Africa's foreign affairs in the new dispensation of democracy in South Africa. But coming to this issue of Venezuela, how does it find itself at this particular moment right now, especially after the recent elections of appointing um, the Maduro himself, after uh, the long Chavez was in power. Do you think that this that we saw this coming? Well, um, thanks first of all for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to say some words on Venezuela. I used to live and work in Venezuela from 2013 to 2017, right. so I was quite following uh, following quite closely the situation in, situa- in in Venezuela and how it got more and more. Um, severe. Actually, it's a pity that uh, Mr. Pahat is not here with us because I would like to ask him about the sanctions. What sanction is he talking about? There are no there are no sanctions. Only a week ago, the U.S. started to impose sanctions on the on the oil uh, exports. Before that, there weren't any trade sanctions, mm. any commercial sanctions. Mm. There were individual sanctions to some of the leaders of the regime mm-hmm. who were um, who were um, supposed to be involved in either drug trafficking or money laundering uh, or stealing money from from public um, funds in Venezuela and those people weren't allowed to travel to the United States or they weren't to d- uh, they weren't allowed to do any um, financial transactions via the United States. Mm. Those were the sanctions imposed by President Obama in 2015. But before, uh, two weeks ago, uh, there weren't any commercial sanctions on the regime of Maduro. So this is just not true. Um, regarding the situation in Venezuela and how they um, ended up uh, in the situation which they are now. Well, I would uh, definitely point the finger to the government. It was just f- bad governance. The, the Venezuelan government, the Chavista, are in power since 1999. And since that, 
they had a very bad administration. Mm -hmm. uh, they spent the money on wrong projects. Uh, they didn't do any investment. For example, in the last 20 years, there were not a single big project done, only with the exception of one bridge over the Orinoco. Except that there were no new roads, no new highways, no new airports, no new ports, nothing. They didn't do anything. And even in the oil industry, which is the backbone of Venezuela's economy, mm. they didn't invest any money. And that is the reason why the oil production decl um, uh, declined Decline, yeah. from 3 million barrels uh, a day uh, to now, I think, 1.5 million. So, so basically the crisis was self-made. And the opposition, who was always... Um, criticizing that uh, they were faced with a severe uh, oppression by the government. Mm. Let me bring it to uh, Dr. Thomas Purcell, who's uh, on the line uh, joining us uh, from uh, the Leeds Piquet University. Dr. Purcell, can we really point the current economic decline and the fact that we're seeing a lot of the citizens of uh, Venezuela either out of jobs or they don't know how to get access to money. All sorts of problems are happening there in terms of it's already, already declare, being declared as a humanitarian crisis in the country underway. Can we just solely blame it on the government? Hi there, Faith. Thanks for having me. Um, I'd, I'd say, first of all, that we have to make clear that the, the economic crisis is is homegrown mm. um so that's the first that's the first um kind of response to that question the the system of um exchange rate and currency controls has decimated has decimated the economy so while the oil price was high for many years this kind of papered over the cracks of um of waste um, and corruption and that being said, there, there were lots and lots and lots of investment in grassroots initiatives and cooperatives and social economy initiatives. But by and large, yes, I would agree that the, the economic crisis is, is homegrown. It's a product of the macroeconomic mismanagement of the Maduro government and also the, the central bank in Venezuela. Hmm. With that said, uh, Dr. Thomas, would you say that uh, this uh, particular protest is uh, determined by the current uh, economic frustrations of the people, or do you think there's also uh, an external uh, political ambition that some people have alluded to? I think that the U.S. has um, attempted to capitalize on what is essentially a domestic protest against the government. What differentiates this protest from the ones in 2014, 16 and 17 mm. is it's no longer confined to the middle class right-wing sections of society which have long sought to bring the government down. Rather, it's a mass protest that people have seen, you know, three million Venezuelans have left the country, the rampant hyperinflation, basic scarcity of food and medicine. The government has no real legitimacy. So this is why I think that the, we need to take that context into account. And then if we add to that the way in which the U.S. has seized this opportunity to, to back Juan Guaido, who isn't really constitutionally um, a legitimate interim president, and in doing so, the, the Venezuelan government is, or the Maduro regime is reacting against the U.S. 
um, public stand and it's likely to worsen the condition domestically. Mm. And let me move it to uh, Dr. Shingai in terms of the status quo of uh, uh, President Maduro right now. I mean, the guy is trying to actually get some form of international support. He's struggling in, in that regard. We're seeing now the interventions of the United Nations saying, hey, let's get uh, uh, both uh, uh, Guaido and uh, Guterres to sit down on a table and discuss the way forward here. Uh, it's a different uh, space that we're in right now, as was alluded to by Dr. Uh, Thomas in terms of the political climate. Where do you think President Maduro stands here, Dr. Shinkai? Thank you, Benjamin. I, I think fundamentally you are seeing a situation where you have uh, President Victor Maduro uh, increasingly fighting his back against the wall. Uh, you will note that a few days ago uh, he had reportedly made overtures to the Vatican, you know, as a possible mm. intermediary within the crisis. Uh, we have since learned that the Vatican has uh, been rather ambivalent in actually mediating and instead affirming that both sides uh, need to be committed to this. We also know, for instance, that the Vatican or the Holy See has actually received a delegation from Juan um, Guaido's uh, people. So I think he's increasingly finding that the um, his support, at least internationally, I mean, ap- quite apart from China, Russia, Turkey, and South Africa, is, you know, is dwindling. Uh, I think, therefore, the intervention of uh, the UN Attorney General, at, at least on his part, would probably be welcome. Um, and I think possibly to the extent that, you know, both parties try to avert, you know, the possibility of uh, violence escalating, particularly mm-hmm. as the food, um, you know, the ban, or should we say the blockade on food aid mm-hmm. uh, continues. So I think from his perspective, uh, he's possibly looking for some sort of mediation, um, and I think that possibly is the how he sees his way out of this situation. And staying with you, Shingai, in terms of uh, the fact that we've seen this uh, paradigm shift in terms of international law whereby you're seeing uh, 50 countries from outside of Venezuela declaring the opposition leader, Juan uh, Guaido, as uh, as the legitimate president and actually approving his uh, uh, self-stamped leadership in the country. How does that actually uh, complicate the situation? Well, I think certainly it draws back focus onto our conception of democracy. I mean, we have to probably reconsider uh, precisely how we conceive of democracy. I mean, you'd have some on the other side who'd say these mass protests obviously would be nothing more than a popular uprising, you know, and the third element or third force sort of instigating it. But as um, the doc, uh, my colleague had mentioned, mm. the fact that this is a mass protest, that you have people who would traditionally be associated as Chavista, you know, coming out in the street, people who would probably not even see themselves as being politically aligned one way or the other, but who are more concerned with the immediate bread and butter issues. I think this is what kind of lends, um, you know, currency to this support, to this international support. But um, having said that, I would like to speak on another dimension, I Mm. think, which you alluded to earlier, which is namely this idea, um, you know, of the geopolitics, and more particularly the issue of oil. 
Um, we mustn't forget, for instance, that um, as we know, Venezuela, of course, is the largest oil-producing state, you know, producing approximately 300 um, million barrels of oil. Uh, now, we, if we look and put it into context with what's been happening in as far as oil politics is concerned, you can see, for instance, the sanctions that were recently applied to Iran, and that also has to do with the geopolitical competition between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Again, one would probably, bearing that in mind, would wonder would, to what extent does what's happening here, or rather this issue of the oil, to what extent does that also prefigure, you know, uh, within this competition for control over oil prices and mm. access to oil. Mm. So I think that is another factor, another dimension that we must take into account as well. I want to look at that, but I don't want to assume that our listeners know all these uh, major figures in this discussion, especially the fact that uh, Juan uh, uh, Guaido came into the spectrum and not a lot of people outside the country would, would know him. Henning, who is this man? Well, um, Juan Guaido is one of the young politicians uh, from the so-called generation from 2007. Mm. In 2007, Hugo Chavez tried to do a change of the constitution to be the eternal leader, and this was rejected after many young people went on the streets and and created um, uh, opposition towards this change of the constitution. And in those were many young student leaders, and Juan Guaido was one of them. Mm. He's a he's a middle class guy. His father, I think, was a taxi driver. Um, so he's not someone who's representing the the old rich Venezuelan elite. Uh, from the pre-Chavez era. He's uh, really the new kid on the block. But how he got into this position now, and here um, it's it's getting a little bit complicated, and I tried to um, explain it uh, in a very simple way. In December 2015, the parliament uh, was elected and the opposition won. And that was a big shock for the Chavista government because they didn't expect it. Um, but the people were already fed up with the system. Um, but instead of accepting this um, result, the government since then were always opposing the the, the parliament. Mm -hmm. You have to know that Venezuela is a presidential um, uh, system. It's not like a parliamentary mm -hmm. um, representative system. So um, what did Maduro do? He created basically a parallel assembly, the so-called constitutional assembly. And um, actually, he, he had no power to do so be <laughs> because um, there was no, no sense in drafting a new constitution also. And, and the election to this constitutional assembly, this parallel parliament, mm -hmm. uh, was, um, was organized by the government. So only government people could be elected into this new kind of parliament. Mm -hmm. And um, and so this constitutional assembly, how it was called, uh, was um, passing all the laws, uh, and so they were sidelining the the democratic elected national assembly, the, the parliament as mm. such. Mm. And uh, later on, in um, in 2018, this illegal constitutional assembly convoked the presidential elections mm. from May 2018 where Maduro got elected. So this whole election of Maduro mm. from in May 2018 was illegal. And so when Maduro tried to, to proclaim himself for the next legislature, 
legislative period mm. in uh, January uh, 2019, the parliament, the national parliament, the democratic elected parliament didn't accept that. They said like, no, those elections weren't fair and free and mm. even uh, the, 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 this other so-called constitutional assembly weren't allowed to, to, con to, to, um, to convene these elections. And so by the, on the basis of the constitution, which mm. Chavez himself put into power, no? Uh, on the basis of articles 2000, uh, 233, 333 and 350, mm. the president of the National Assembly is automatically mm. the new interim president and only in mm. order to convene elections. And okay. that is what the people want. They just want free and fair democratic elections. That's all. Mm. That's all the opposition wants and is asking for. Mm. Well, let's go to Dr. Purcell because uh, I want to go to a break, but I want to get his thoughts in terms of uh, the narration that was just given by Henning here. Do you agree with it? Because there's contestations on uh, whether these recent elections were legal or not. There's a lot of different voices that are coming around the legitimacy of uh, uh, Maduro's reign. Um, yes, to a certain extent, I, I agree. But I think it's worth pointing out that there are voices which do recognize the, the democratic legitimacy of the 2018 election. I'm not one of them. I think one of the major issues with this election, aside from its le legality, was the, the way in which the government used the distribution of food and resources to ensure voting and voters coming to the polls. However, having said that, I think we also need to bear in mind that the right wing itself or the opposition is not a homogenous block. It's, it's been very divided and uh, without a clear line or leadership. It's not being able to mount an effective um, democratic or um, stand against Maduro. Henry Falcon did stand against Maduro in 2018 with the slogan, si votamos ganamos, if we vote we can win. So I think in many ways, the, the victory of Maduro also speaks to the lack of organization and coherence among the right as well. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to come back to your thoughts, uh, Dr. Purcell, around how you see the issues conflating themselves, especially these domestic um, issues that we've been talking about related to the international dimensions that are also contributing uh, to uh, uh, the politicization of uh, uh, these two figures coming to um, a table and discussing and also I would like to ask you a question that following up what you're saying after the break in terms of what makes uh, Juan uh, Guaido's uh, um, leadership here if uh, uh, the opposition is not united, one that is going to be uh, long-standing uh, for instance uh, let's take a quick break and we'll pose those questions to our guests after this <laughs> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. 
Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. You are listening to Channel Africa. I remember we come to you on various platforms on shortwave. We're on 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. On DSTV in the SADC region, not all SADC countries have it, but those who have the facility can listen to us on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And internationally, you can listen to us on www.channelafrica.co.za while we're broadcasting from the SABC studios and the very confused weather here. Uh, the sun is coming out in the heavy clouds, so we're not quite sure what to, how to dress today. But today, as we highlighted, we're looking at the Venezuelan uh, situation currently. I'd like us to listen to uh, to Aziz Bahad, which is who I spoke to earlier before the show, and I think it complicates this debate, as highlighted by Henning earlier on, who disagrees with some of the issues that you were highlighting, especially when it comes to uh, the sanctions imposed on the United States. But I wanted him to also keep speaking around the international dimensions and I asked him how does uh, the acknowledgement of Juan Guaido actually make the international law uh, space complex? Excellent example of the vice president of America, President Spence, from America in a telephonic conversation, declares a real non-entity, even in Venezuelan political terms, Guaido, as the president. And for some inexplicable reason, one expected the U.S. support that because the vice president has called for that. But um, the fact that so many countries which purport to be upholders of international law, democracy, human rights, good governance, are now supporting this attempt at a regime change is an absolute tragedy for international relations and peace and stability in the world. And I do hope that common sense will prevail amongst these leaders who have taken a step that all evidence shows is wrong, it's against international law, and it will undermine any attempts to revive the United Nations and the rule of law. Because what they are openly saying, that they are accepting that a major power can declare illegal what had democratically happened in, the, in Venezuela and impose a, a, a created instrument of regime change. And all the books and documents prove to that, actually. Let's look at our final question, Mr. Pahad. We've heard uh, today that the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres is going to try to actually intervene and actually assist to broker an end to the crisis in the talks between uh, Venezuela. And uh, the big question is how is the United Nations going to intervene here because we've already seen independent interventions and standpoints being made outside of the conventions of the United States with countries declaring their support for the opposition. So do you think that the United States stands in a very complex um, standpoint here in terms of how to mediate and how would they be able to do that and what would their uh, mandate be in this intervention? Well, 
think South Africa foreign policy is based on the notion that we must try to find negotiated solution. Maduro, President Maduro has asked negotiations. The opposition have rejected that. There is an international group, or there was supposed to be an international group trying to negotiate a solution. The United Nations Secretary General has a responsibility, according to the Charter of the UN, to try to find negotiated solutions to potential conflicts. So if his efforts are supported by important players in the world, and I hope Africa will be the leading supporters of the UN Secretary General's effort to find a negotiated solution, we cannot allow this sort of regime change now openly being carried out uh, in a way that undermines the very nature of international law and laws of uh, humanity that has been adopted over many years. So it is vital that the Secretary General gets all the support and that we do find a negotiated solution. The will of the people of Venezuela must be respected. No power how exceptional they are, supported by some unfortunately European powers, can now determine the future of a country like they're trying to do in Venezuela. Otherwise, none of us are safe. Well, that's the voice there of Aziz Pahad, a former South African Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs, now known as DECO, which is the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. And I think that problematizes the the conversation here when we do have include that uh, uh, conversation because it comes from a different uh, viewpoint. But let me go to Dr. Thomas because I wanted to speak on these issues of the conflation between international law and the domestic uh, um, control within the country. Um, clearly here we're seeing these two uh, have a big friction on top of each other, uh, Dr. Purcell. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think that the, the, the main issue is that the, the right to self-determination and sovereignty are being contravened by the position of the U.S., who have seen the opportunity to leverage the claim made by Guaido, whereas Guaido's claim is based upon Article 233 of the Constitution, which clearly states that he has no authority to assume this role um, because the president isn't unable to, isn't physically unable to serve, um, has not been relieved of power. So there are no constitutional or legal uh, provisions within that article used by Guaido to justify his interim status as president. So added to that then, the U.S. coming out forcefully and rallying the international community to back Guaido There is no legal basis on which we could assume that Guaido has a legitimate claim to power. And so that's kind of an international legal perspective. I think the the case doesn't hold up very well at all. Mm. Dr. Shingai, let me come to you. Um, So if that point that's been made by Dr. Thomas is one that should be elevated as as a as a absolute truth, why should then Maduro actually uh, take heed of uh, Guaido's uh, self-appointed uh, uh, presidency? Yes. I think um, in, in reference to what's happening in Venezuela, I think it's important to also remember that um, what's happening is not really happening, you know, uh, in a vacuum. You also yeah. have to remember certain historical um precedents that have taken place within that region. I think what comes to mind for me is the experience in Panama with the 
removal of Manuel Zelaya. Mm-hmm. Again, this happened um, again, and there were questions over the legality of it because he was again a constitutionally elected president. But you know, this um, you know the with the implicit or tacit support of the U.S. at the time, uh, the, the armed forces, um, you know, the the, um, the judiciary, the national assembly, and again, popular, you know, and uh, certain population uh, essentially. Uh, convened or co- there was a confluence of these factors or these personalities and that led to his ouster but then again constitutionally there was a question as to whether that was um, you know whether that was legitimate again if you reflect upon what happened in Haiti in 2004 the ouster of um, you know um, Jean-Bertrand Aristide who actually resided here for some years in South Africa uh, you know at the behest of course of what was viewed as these you know sponsored uprising by the US that certainly does bring questions of illegality. But I think what we should be thinking about, again, is I think focus really be on, uh, again, the, the people. What, again, is the popular demand? In as difficult as that mm-hmm. is to determine, focus should be on that. Again, maybe focus should be, again, you know, as Dr. Thomas said, on the, you know, the precepts of international law, you know, constitutionality, what needs to be, what needs to happen. And I think that's why uh, a negotiated settlement Will most you know would probably be the best way because at least you know if they can negotiate uh, um, you know Maduro's exit if you know if that is the direction that needs to be taken then it can be done within the you know precincts of the constitution and mm-hmm. also whilst respecting international law and thereby sort of um, avoiding this complicating you know a role of external um, international uh, you know um, uh, stakeholders. Uh, within the process. Mm. Let me come to you in terms of that way forward, Henning. I mean, we were just talking about Juan just before the break, and you were talking about the fact that he's not necessarily on the, on the right necessarily, as was alluded to by Dr. Thomas there. But do you think the future of uh, Venezuela can hang on this one young middle class uh, uh, gentleman? Yes, definitely. Um, the conflict in Venezuela is not a left-right conflict anymore. And Guaido belongs to a party which is member of the International Socialist Movement. It would be considered a social democratic party, like the Social Democrats in Germany or Labour Party in Britain. It's not a right-wing party as often um, claimed by uh, by left-wing or radical uh, socialist um Uh, politicians in uh, Venezuela and outside the world. Um, I think Guaido can be, uh, can fulfill the role um, to to organize new elections and uh, so so the people of Venezuela can decide about their own future. Um, Regarding the negotiation, I would like to mention that there were already uh, many attempts for a negotiated settlement. Uh, there was uh, negotiation, negotiations with UNASUR, later with the Pope, uh, and Zapatero was always around. Zapatero is the former um, Spanish prime minister who was always more inclined for the uh, for the side of the Chavista. And nevertheless, <coughs> the opposition agreed to to uh, try to negotiate. But during all those negotiations, uh, Maduro never said what he 
what he what uh, what he promised to do. Like he so so basically Maduro does not have any credibility, and this is going to make negotiations very difficult. And therefore, we need lots of international pressure. And last but not least, South Africa is playing a very crucial role in the United Nations Security Council, and that why is also so important why uh, why South Africa should listen to all sides in Venezuela and not just to the government. Well, let, let me give uh, Dr. Thomas uh, a minute or so to give me his uh, views on the way forward. Would you say the United Nations would be uh, a central instrument for uh, some form of getting these two on, on the table? And also, are we not making a mistake by already predetermining that Maduro must go? Yeah, I do think that the, the negotiated um, settlement is, is the only way out of this impasse. Um, given that the Venezuelan military is still standing firm with Maduro, he's not going to go and being pushed into this corner is only going to polarize the situation further. So, yes, I think some international mediation now is necessary. Um, at the same respect, I don't think Juan Guaido is a good representative of the overall sentiment within Venezuela. If anything, he further embodies the extreme polarization in society. I think most Venezuelans are saying neither one or the other, i.e. no Guaido, ni Maduro. So I think that that, that that sentiment has to be represented in some new free and fair elections, to my mind. Mm, I see uh, Henning there shaking his head, but I'm not going to give him the final <laughs> sentiment. I'll give it to you, Dr. Shingai, as the, the final speaker. Yes, um. I think, yes, we, as uh, Dr. Thomas said, I think the, the fact that you have a military that is still firmly behind him, uh, I think we cannot discount, uh, you know, just how complex that factor could be. But having said that, I think, you know, um, a, negotiated, um, a negotiated outcome, uh, I mean, it could, it could take any form. Uh, you know, it's not for us. I think that is really for the Venezuelans to decide. Um, even if it means a transitional authority, or, you know, which could be a government of national unity for, you know, with a sunset period, maybe of a year or two pending new elections, that's possible. But I, again, as I said, it really has to be a negotiated settlement um, with uh, multilateral partners, you know, with the UN, uh, personally. And um, I think it's just a case of bringing them to the table and letting the, you know, the Venezuelan citizens themselves decide who they want. Mm. Well, we'll uh, see what happens as uh, I highlighted uh, at the beginning of the program that uh, Juan has already called for intensification of uh, protests uh, for this week. So I'm sure we'll be gazing at that particular situation. Uh, but thank you to Henning Zuner. Thank you for coming to our studios. It's been a pleasure having you here. He's the South African director of the Conrad Adenayer Foundation. Thank you as well to Dr. Thomas Purcell, who's the senior Senior Lecturer in International Political Economy at the Leeds Beckett University. Uh, thank you for uh, giving us your time as well. And Dr. Shingai Mutizo Mangiza, thank you also for uh, joining us on this panel discussion. He's a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Political Studies at the University of the Western Cape. Thank you, gents, for giving us your time. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.